This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is pre-recorded. And guess where this additional billion gallons of biofuel is going to come from? It's going to come from abroad. That's not an American first energy policy. We're in this together. Labor's in this. Building trades are in this. Refiners are in this. American consumers need us to do this too. Now across the Jacob Media Network, welcome to the Labor and Energy Show special. Exclusively presented by the PBF Energy Paulsboro Refinery and the PBF Delaware City Refinery in collaboration with the labor unions that build our communities. If you fix this RINs issue, you're looking at a reduction of 25 to 30 cents a gallon. This is the Labor and Energy Show, bringing labor leaders, national experts, and political influencers together to educate you about fancy terms like RINs and Reggie, while explaining the truth about energy independence. Welcome to the Labor and Energy Show with J. Doc and Krause. And welcome in, everyone, to another edition of the Labor and Energy Show with J. Doc and Krause. J. Doc, great to be here. We've been talking about the Natural Gas Industry Summit for the last four weeks leading up to uh, this week. And wow, we've got a who's who uh, that will be part of this one hour special. Uh, glad to be here and looking forward to some good dialogue today. Absolutely, Joe, we've been talking about it. We've anticipated it, uh, it you know, the, the, you know, we're doing the, the, the summits, the labor and energy summits and in the different energy sectors. And uh, we, we last month was the refinery sector uh, and, and, and this is the natural gas, uh, you know, industry summit. And certainly uh, we're excited about it. The goal of the summit is to better educate the public in layman's terms on common sense in energy in, in, in order to help change the narrative. And, and, so, you know, and you know, Jay Doc, I always reference and speak directly to our audience because I'm listening to the show like I'm part of the audience, which I am. So at the end of the conversation, um, I can say with an unconditional guarantee in a world where there are not many guarantees, I can say that you will be more educated. And of course, if you miss any of the program or if you want to go back and listen uh, to the program, uh, you can go to Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast um, and just search labor and energy and bang, this industry summit uh, will be there for you to uh, for you to listen to. Absolutely, Joe. And I'm ecstatic to bring into the broadcast our guests, uh, which is a, a relative who's who in the industry. Dave Callahan, president of Marcella Shell Coalition, who's no no stranger uh, to the broadcast, by the way. Dave, how are you, sir? Doing great. Great to see you again at both you and, and Mr. Kraus. Uh, had a great time with you back in May uh, when we did this before. And I'm looking forward to a great conversation with my colleagues here. Hey, Dave, I don't, hey, Dave, I don't often get a Mr. Kraus, I, I, you know, <laughs> but I will take it. Normally I get a Krause from J. Dodd, but I'll take a Mr. Kraus. So right. thank you much, man. <laughs> and, and Dave, we, we want to thank you for, for, for organizing uh, the summit. You did a fantastic job and and, and we really appreciate it. And, and, and I'm sure the listeners will as well. I want to welcome John Bain, who's the Director of Government Affairs from EQT uh, Corporation. John, how are you, sir? I'm very well, gentlemen. How about you? I really appreciate you having us on today. And uh, I think we're going to have a, a great session here. Uh, well, we're, we're, uh, we're happy to have you and, and we welcome you to the broadcast. Scott Roy, Senior Vice President, Range Resources. Scott, welcome to the broadcast, sir. 
Thank you, sir. It's a it's a pleasure to be with all of you. And like uh, John, I'm look, looking forward to the conversation. Absolutely. And uh, last but certainly not least, Joe McGinn, Vice President, Public Affairs, Energy Transfer. Joe, welcome to the broadcast. You got it, Joe and Joe. Thanks for having me. Look forward to the conversation today. Absolutely. And so, having said that, uh, gentlemen, if you would, and we're going to be in a sense, it's a roundtable discussion. We're going to spitfire a little bit, um, but if you would, each of you, if you would introduce um, yourselves and uh, provide a brief overview of your organizations, who you represent, uh, where you operate, the size of the workforce, and the products you produce any in any no particular order, uh, if you would. Uh, of course, Dave Callahan, if you would first, please. Sure. Thank you again. Uh Dave Callahan, president of the Marcella Shale Coalition, or the MSC. The MSC is a statewide trade association with national membership. We represent all segments of the natural gas industry. We like to say from wellhead to burner tip. And every step along that way, there's a construction trade union influence and activity along with that as well. We have roughly 130 members right now in the organization, and that grows more and more, it seems, every day. And I'm proud to say we have several construction trade unions as members of the organization as well, including uh, the Pennsylvania Pipe Trades, including the Boilermakers, and also uh, soon to be voted on and approved as soon as next week, the operating engineers. Thank you. Awesome. John Bain, uh, EQT Corporation, a little bit about, you know, you know, the organization, who you represent and what you produce. Sure. Um, again, John Bain, EQT Corporation. Uh, we are the largest producer of natural gas in the country. We operate in the southwest and northeast portions of the state with uh, a, a few operations in between. Um, currently, uh, I'll go to, and this is something we'll probably want to touch on, and I think a lot of your, your viewers will be interested in, but since 2005, EQT alone, and I know, uh, Scott, your range resources probably is the same result, but we've, we've contributed to 5% of emission reductions uh, in the country. So that's something I think is important to, to touch on. But again, EQT, we produce in Pennsylvania, but we're also in West Virginia and, um, and in Ohio. So that's kind of EQT in a nutshell with a little color commentary in between. Awesome, Scott Roy. Yeah, good morning, everybody. Uh, Scott Roy with Range Resources. Uh, like John, we're a, a producer of natural gas and natural gas liquids. We actually drilled the first Marcellus well uh, back in back in the day. We're, we're a first mover in this space. All of our activity is concentrated in Pennsylvania. Uh, predominantly in Southwest PA with uh, increasing activity in Northeast PA. Um, and uh, we were the first to export ethane and, and propane down Joe McGinn's energy transfer pipe and out through Marcus Hook. Uh, and we continue those exports today. Uh, we, we certainly uh, have, uh, have had a good uh, run of it here Pennsylvania, but I, I hope we talk today about the opportunity that that sits in front of us, which which I know we all see and are and are desperate to pursue. So I look forward to having that conversation. Absolutely, and and Joe McGinn. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Uh, Joe McGinn uh, with with Energy Transfer, and so Energy Transfer 
we've got about 120,000 uh, miles of, of pipeline or energy infrastructure across the U.S. Um, moving about, you know, when you think about natural gas, crude oil, uh, big energy products we have, we move just under a third of uh, the nation's oil and natural gas on our on our system. Uh, have about 11,000 employees nationwide. I'm based in in uh, the Philly suburbs. So when you look at Pennsylvania, we have about a, a thousand employees here. A lot of our business uh, is legacy from Sunoco. Uh, I spent uh, first half of my career on in primarily the refining and pet chem side on this uh, at Sunoco uh, until it was acquired by Energy Transfer and and uh, worked with Energy Transfer since. So it's a little background on on Energy Transfer uh, and myself. Uh, looking forward to the conversation and and talking more. Fantastic. Uh, gentlemen, let, let's talk about, let's start off talking about the, the, the resources we have, natural gas resources we have here, uh, not only in America, but obviously in our region. Uh, I'd like you to comment on the abundance of our natural gas uh, resources, particularly in our neck of the woods, PA, as well as New York, Ohio, and West Virginia. And talk about the magnitude of these resources from an energy standpoint, as well as from the standpoint of the uh, economy, jobs and, and energy independence, if you will. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna uh, start with, with, with John Bain on that topic. Yes, uh, thanks, Joe. And I think it's a very, there's, it's a simple answer. Uh, Pennsylvania, we have the second largest resource of natural gas uh, in the country. And when you look at this region of Ohio, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, we're number one in the country. So we, we have the resources, we have the resources to provide energy here at home, but we can also provide energy to our friends overseas. Um, and again, as I said, this is the largest resource that we have uh, in the country if you combine these three states and this shale play. Um, and if we can get the proper, proper infrastructure in place, we are ready to deploy these assets uh, today. Scott Roy. Yeah, thanks. Um, and, and just to kind of follow on John's observation. So in terms of production today, we're second behind only Texas. But in terms of the the look forward, the, the size of the resource itself, the potential, it is when you combine the Marcellus and, and Utica, uh, it is recognized as the largest gas field in the world. So there's there's a, a huge resource here. And as, as John suggests, plenty to supply our current and, and future needs, uh, but but also to supply the needs of others. And in particular, I know we're all focused and for the right reasons on assisting our, our friends in Europe in particular, as they're dealing with kind of a table reset, given the, the moves of Russia and, and into the Ukraine and, and uh, concerns with respect to uh, Asian influences and, and, and China's influence and, and elsewhere, uh, there's a real opportunity for us to step up and fill that gap and, and uh, meet the demand and, and assist. And it, and it comes back to questions about what, it, what it's going to take for us to be able to, to meet, that, uh, meet that opportunity. It's not a question of resource. It's not a question of know-how. Uh, it's just a question of, of getting ourselves aligned with the right policy set to, to be able to start to respond more directly to, uh, to that pretty serious demand. Scott, let me just do a quick follow. Scott, let me just do a quick follow-up there. If I'm if I'm listening to uh, this summit uh, in the audience and I'm saying, "Oh my goodness, we're the second largest." Um, 
what's the problem? <laughs> you know what I mean? That seems like such a powerful statement that's obviously not being utilized. What's your thought on that? Yeah, I, I agree. It's a it's great observation. I, I think we're all kind of wondering, uh, you know, why aren't we why aren't we first, right? Why aren't we taking greater advantage of the opportunity? And I do want to emphasize a point which which John has made now a couple of times. You know, all of this is being done while uh, advancing on the environmental front as well, right? So we're becoming smarter and more efficient, more cost effective in terms of producing the product, which has benefited all the consumers. But we're all at at the very same time, we've spent tens of millions of dollars in uh, advancing technology that has reduced the emissions. To your question, though, why aren't we head of class? Um, a great deal of that has to do with the constraints uh, of operating um, in this state, in this basin, um, Pennsylvania, Ohio, West Virginia, and frankly, uh, limitations in terms of support at the federal level, and it all comes down to, in large part, infrastructure. Um, we can produce it, but if we can't get the pipe uh, to, to put that product into, it's of no value, right? So the real constraint, the, the real reason we're not ahead of class, the real reason we're not able to better meet worldwide demand is because of limitations on infrastructure. And that affects all of us. It affects all of us as, as individual families in terms of, of the pocketbook, but it also, you know, we've, we've got a long-term fantastic relationship with, with labor. It affects your membership as well. Um, you know, those, those pipelines are, are, you know, bread and butter opportunity for your membership. And so we, we need to see, we need to see policy that supports infrastructure development if we're gonna move to head of class and really realize this opportunity. And just a quick follow-up, and just one quick follow-up there. Um, uh, if it is so obvious, and if the boxes are checked, the, the box of environmental being, being checked, why are the restraints in place? You know, I'm again, sitting there coming from a public pers uh, perspective, I don't get the restraint. Why put a constraint on on the opportunity that is in front of us that you that you're presenting? Yeah, I, uh, I'd love to have a great answer for that, but 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 I don't. I think that's what all of us wonder, and I think uh, as uh, as folks listen to this, they're going to be wondering the same thing. And you know, it's it's interesting. Uh, just uh, within the last couple of days, Forbes printed an article where they uh, referenced the comment that Larry Summers, uh, Obama administration economist comment that he made at a recent, uh, I think it was Boston Globe Summit back in uh, a couple weeks ago. He said uh, that it was kind of insane that we have tr trucks and trains carrying oil, and I would add natural gas all over the, the country, rather than constructing pipelines, which would yep. permit accessing more recess resources and cheaper, safer transmission. Um, so it's not just us asking that question without an answer. It's folks like Larry Summers who are, are who are raising the same question. So let me let me go to Joe McGinn. Joe, if you would uh, jump in there and, and talk about what's what's standing in the way of our pipelines and, and uh, what do we do, what do we have to do to have our voices heard and to get this done? Yeah, it's hard to build infrastructure. Um, I would say you know, one of the things you have to understand, so we built recently the Mariner East 2 system, and Scott referenced it a little bit. So think about it as the Pennsylvania turnpike for natural gas liquids, right? It connects 
Pittsburgh to Philly, more specifically kind of the Southwest to, to Marcus Hook, uh, which is the Southeast corner of PA, former oil refinery site, uh, right, right where I grew up. So, you know, I know you, you mentioned, I think you talked recently to like Jimmy Snell, John Bland, guys from the Philadelphia area building trades, those refineries, pet chem plants that I grew up near worked, worked at were kind of bread and butter for them, you know, in terms of jobs, uh, you know, while on paper, Sunoco would only employ 500 people or so, right? You talk to you know, people in the trades that raise their hand and you start to realize it's thousands in terms of people that have those jobs. So, you know, when you look at support for a specific refinery or nuclear power plant or anything like that, they have a lot of density, right, in one area and, and providing a lot of the jobs right there. So they tend to get more support, you know, if folks do it the right way are good operators, things like that. But from a pipeline side, now you're stretching across an entire state in Pennsylvania. So to build, you know, it was 17 counties, nearly 100 municipalities. Um, you're, you're going uh, through individual folks' properties. And, you know, you get easement payments for the pipeline, um, but it's, it's not the same, you know, in the middle of the state, that pipeline isn't gonna generate the hundreds or thousands of jobs in central PA permanently. From a construction side, it's significant. I mean, to build that, it was, you know, and why the labor and other folks are so supportive is um, there were just thousands of, of man hours, actually, excuse me, millions, it was 30, over 30 million man hours. But the reality is, you know, it, it's harder to, to do that. And the number, the level of permitting you have to go through is excessive um, because it's kind of a unique thing. And, you know, the other challenge is with elected officials and politicians and why it's important to have folks in labor or people that have sensible, rational, you know, energy thoughts, because there's there's folks on the other side um, that are opposed to they just want to keep it in the ground. So every pipeline is a proxy war and they want to fight it and they'll come in and they'll 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 try to raise a stink um, that isn't always necessarily the, the most local people, um, but they're very loud and vocal about it. And so that presents challenges, certainly for some politicians and regulators. Um, but, you know, it's important to hear the other side and make sure that folks realize what, you know, polling always shows. The significant majority of folks support energy infrastructure. They're pro-gas. Um, you know, they want cheap and affordable energy. And they want, it, they want to be able to turn their light switch on and the lights go on. And that's not happening in, in certain other states like California and uh, in places like Europe right now. And I think that's... a a wake-up call that we have to have as you know john and scott and others reference pennsylvania being a number two state in terms of uh gas and energy production you know we shouldn't have those issues uh and we can in fact do better probably than what we're doing right now and and a follow-up joe talk what the opposition obviously in, in in a sense i can only imagine going through that many uh, that many counties and and, and uh, you know that many areas um what in particular, and in addition to, uh, you know, the, the in a sense, the usual suspects uh, from the left. Um, what type of opposition do you have to overcome, um, and and when you're dealing with that, and what are the concerns, uh, safety, uh, in, in addition to that? Yeah. So, so the first and simplest one, I think, is is kind of the the not in my backyard mentality. And so, whether yeah. you're building the pipeline or folks that build commercial developments, you know you know, those uh, or new housing developments, you know, there's a little bit of a hesitation because you're changing what's there. And in general, people move to a community because they like it just the way it is, right? And so right. that, that change and disturbance is an issue. So that's the first thing. 
And, and that's the, the hardest one to overcome because, you know, no different now, you can go all over Pennsylvania. We're kind of towards the end of it with the road paving and road construction season, uh, except for I-95 through Philly. I think that's perpetually under construction. Right. But, <laughs> but for the most part, um, you know, it, you know, it comes and it's and it's a it's a challenge during that construction period. There's no doubt that it, that it's a disturbance from how things are normally. But you go and you look across Pennsylvania now, you look at our right of way, and honestly, outside of the right of way markers, for folks that aren't paying attention, they have no idea that there's pipelines there. Versus Scott's point, you always hear the train, right? Um, you know, whether the whistles are going across the tracks, you see the cars, you see the trucks. So, you know, the pipeline is in so many ways more efficient. So that's that's the first challenge. I think the second one is folks raise environmental issues. Um, and some of it, they complain about disturbance, but there's construction. And to the point I just raised, you know, you, you put things back better than what it was. I mean, you know, all of the engagement that we had, just a, one anecdote, an example, right, along Mariner East. So, you know, one of the challenges with the state game lands and other areas is the bee population. So there's a concern that the bee population is declining, right? So one of the things we did was we built over 150, 153 specifically bee boxes installed on state game lands, you know, where we had pipeline construction. So that's to help and promote things that just weren't there before. Um, and then the other one is, is safety. So, you know, the things that we move are hydrocarbons. So they're meant to combust. They're meant to be used in engines and other things um and burn so you have to handle things safely and appropriately and some of that is educating folks on you know hey this isn't a movie um you know these things are done safely and, and some of the things that we do um to, to build those safe and that's where labor which i know is a big part of this podcast is important because of the training they go through um and you know all the steps along the way that they do that build build those lines not just that they're very well trained but also often um, a, a good local presence as well. Dave Callahan, let me. Uh, Dave Callahan, let me ask you to weigh in on on that reference uh, around policy. You know, if policy is one of the roadblocks to moving this narrative forward, uh, and policy is created by um, politicians who are voted into office. And those politicians who are voted into office rely on the labor and energy workforce to get into office. Why isn't it, why doesn't it make sense for policy to move through office? That's the uh, $64,000 question, uh, Krause. Uh, that, that certainly is a matter for us to take up every single day. That's why you're having this broadcast. That's why you've had multitudes of broadcasts like this, to share with folks who work in the trades, to share with folks who work in the energy industry, what's at stake? What's the, where are the opportunities? What's, what's it going to take to get something done? And this is something that impacts policy at the local level the state level, other states, and of course, at the federal level. And we're seeing a, a, just a confluence of events right now um, of all these forces coming to bear on our industry that are holding us back. You know, for your listeners, you could think of one thing. Pennsylvania has hit the geologic jackpot when it comes to energy resources and energy reserves. We have tremendous opportunities, as my colleagues have pointed out, generations <clears throat> of supply are available, but without the proper pipelines, the, the sufficient number of pipelines to get those products out, specifically 
north of us, into New York and into New England, into New Jersey, into other areas, perhaps even to export facilities in the Philadelphia region to help our allies overseas, we cannot fully capitalize on not just the economic benefits, but the environmental benefits that, that accrue with the development of this great resource. You know, my colleagues and I have talked about environmental benefits. They go hand in hand with the jobs. They go hand in hand with the efficiencies and the, and the great aid that it, that it has been to reshoring manufacturing. The increased use of natural gas has made the air in this country cleaner than it's been since before the Industrial Revolution. It's led this country to reducing CO2 emissions at a rate that has been unmatched by other countries on, around the globe, and not by some government edict, not by some policymaker, Krause. It's because of the market forces. It's because of choice in the market and the development of this great resource. And, and so, Dave, having said that, the, the disconnect, um, what don't people understand? Where are the misconceptions? Scott mentioned the fact that we're lowering emissions. Uh, you know, here, here, here's a general question for our listeners. And one of the, like you said, this is one of the reasons we have these broadcasts. Very important uh, because of what people don't know. We all want to help our friends overseas, but we can't do it if we don't have the infrastructure uh, to produce what we need to produce. In order to do that, uh, obviously, you know, support needs to be made. What what are the misunderstandings and misconceptions that the general public has? What don't they know about our industry and about our our our, uh, our natural gas sector that they should know? Well, I think first and foremost, just taking a step back and maybe maybe looking at it from a broader view, folks have taken for granted the fact that the lights are always going to be on that the lights are reliable, that energy is affordable, that the air is clean. And so they're trying to jump two or three steps down the road. You know, the events in Europe have called into question and called into question the relationship between energy security and national security. I'm going to reference New England again. New England just had a conference last week where they're talking about, you know, trying to secure enough natural gas to not just support energy in terms of, of heating homes and businesses, but also for power generation. The, the, the independent system operator up there, the, 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 the organization that runs the transmission grid in New England said last year, and they're saying again, it's gonna take a combination of skill and luck to get through the winter. We're talking about the most advanced economy on the face of the earth, and we're trying to figure out how we're gonna get through the winter and keep the lights on. Joe, when you look at all the boxes that need to be checked, price, availability, um, accessibility, reliability, sustainability, natural gas checks all those boxes. Some people only look at one of those boxes. They might look at two, but the events of today, both overseas and here in this country, have really brought that into focus, the fact that we have to look at all these facets when you're looking at what's needed here in this country from an energy policy standpoint. The labor and, and, and it's you want J Doc, you want you have one last thought? I got 30 seconds. To no, I was just gonna say to, to Dave's point, it's no longer hypothetical. We saw right. what happened with the with, with right. the uh, hacking of the pipeline and 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 what happened in, in Texas. Uh, you know, it seems like uh, you know, we're gonna have to learn the hard way when you think about those issues. People do not think it's possible, and therefore they don't educate themselves. 
Uh, you know, I mean, uh, it, it's a point well made, Dave. Labor and Energy Show with Jay Doc and Krause. Today is our Natural Gas Industry Summit. We're going to take a short commercial break as we're doing a commercial-free conversation today, but we do want to uh, take a moment uh, within the summit um, to acknowledge uh, our partners of the Labor and Energy Show, which allow us uh, to go on the airwaves every week and continue to educate the public. The Labor and Energy Show with J-Doc and Krause, back in a moment. Thanks for listening to tonight's Labor and Energy Special. Now it's time for Did You Know? A public service announcement from the providers of this program. Did you know that natural gas with carbon capture and storage ensures a more stable and cost-effective energy supply than renewables alone? Did you know? PBF Energy wants you to know hidden RIN costs are adding almost 30 cents to every gallon at the pump and pushing independent American refineries to the brink. It doesn't have to be this way. President Biden can lower gas prices and protect thousands of union refinery jobs by fixing the renewable fuel standard. And he should. Visit fuelingusjobs.com slash take action to urge President Biden to stop the RIN sanity and fix the renewable fuel standard today. Portions of tonight's Labor and Energy Special are being supported by the members of the labor union community, including Steamfitters Local 420, Jim Snell, Business Manager, the Eastern Atlantic States Regional Council of Carpenters, and the United Steelworkers. And welcome back, everyone, to this very special edition of the Labor and Energy Show. It's our Natural Gas Industry Summit, J-Doc. We've been talking about it. We've been promoting uh, this summit for the last five weeks on our weekly edition of the Labor and Energy Show. I can promise you this, delivered as expected. Over to you, sir. Yeah, thank you, Joe. No question about it. We're ecstatic to have John Bain of EQT Corporation. Of course, Scott Roy of Range Resources, Joe McGinn of Energy Transfer, and of course, Dave Callahan, who arranged the summit uh, of the Marcellus, Marcellus Shale Coalition. Uh, yeah, let, let, let's go to John Bain. John, if you will, we've had labor leaders during the, during the um, the shutdown of the the PBF uh, or, or the the the, um, the refinery in South Philadelphia, the PES refinery. Um, you know, say during many of our our broadcasts, when when did it become a one way street mentality on the political front? Okay. We no longer work together when it comes to our traditional energy resources and issues. Uh, talk about the political landscape that you face on a daily basis and talk about, uh, and, and the point of this program in many ways is, is to create a voice and a platform uh, for regular people to understand because back when the PA, PES refinery was being shut down, we wanted to know why it was going on. And the answer was, they're speaking louder than we are. And so having said that, uh, talk, you know, respond to that, if you will. Yeah, and, and thanks for that. That's a, a good question. It's a complicated question. Um, but, you know, speaking louder than we are, obviously, is, is one facet that um, is concerning. And I think it's a matter of getting our message out there and talking about the good things that this industry is doing, not just in Pennsylvania, but across the globe. Um, we all talk about global warming and emissions, the things we're doing right here in Pennsylvania. 
that that's the solution. And I, I think the individuals who oftentimes demonize this industry have to understand that if if we're going to reduce emissions across the globe, uh, we're the answer. And, and it's not anything to, you know, solar, wind, we're not opposed to that, uh, contrary to what some people believe. I mean, it, it's it's an all the above approach. Uh, but the most concerning thing, and I think this is something that the, the general public should be aware of, in in Pennsylvania, um, in this region, I mean, we're, and, and Joe can attest to this, you know, our, our pipelines are almost at capacity. We, we have to move more natural gas, number one. Number two, uh, if we had the ability to export more natural gas to our friends overseas, as we've touched on earlier, the impact is, um, and the opportunity is tremendous for the globe. And basically in simple terms, um, it would be similar to electrifying every US passenger vehicle, powering every home in America with rooftop solar and um, adding 54,000 industrial scale windmills. Um, we, we have the opportunity to replace foreign coal with our, um, with our clean natural gas. And what's going on overseas because we can't deliver more natural gas is China are ramping up their coal production. They're building out more infrastructure for coal. And honestly, it is the coal plants that they're planning now um, will take us back and on a global scale, will undo all of the progress we've made lowering emissions in the United States um, over the past 15 years. So it's a serious problem. We, we have, a, you know, we have our differences with some individuals, but I, I think it's time that we all pay attention and realize that the resource we have here in Pennsylvania is, is the answer. Yeah, and Joe, and let me, can I jump in on that? So to expand on John's point, a simple way to put it, right? If you really care about emissions, if you care about environmental issues, you know, the, the, the gas produced in Pennsylvania and the natural gas liquids are produced about as cleanly and purely as in certain, some of these places as anywhere on the planet, um, maybe the best, maybe the cleanest. So if you really care about emissions, you know, the argument should be, we should produce every drop of Pennsylvania and Marcellus gas first. It's cleaner. Why wouldn't you do that? Why would you push it to other regions? And I'll give you a specific example in terms of something that happened. Um, and it involves Scott Roy and, and, uh, and Range Resources as well. One of our first projects was called Mariner West. So we basically connected some pipelines that were legacy Sunoco, built some new line and moved ethane from the Pittsburgh area up across Ohio, north past Detroit to Sarnia, Canada. So Sarnia is kind of like a um, kind of an industrial pet chem hub in Canada, right on the Michigan Canadian border. Right. So previous to that, they were making ethylene. So prior to having that ethane, Pennsylvania ethane, they were making it from naphtha, which is heavier. It burns dirty, dirtier. Um, and so with the ethane, the Canadian government, their equivalent of the EPA, basically awarded them the national award that year um, for improving emissions in Canada. It was the most important project. So that doesn't happen without, you know, it's not natural gas, but it's essentially a natural gas byproduct. And it doesn't happen without any infrastructure and connecting Pennsylvania to the world. So if you really care about the environment, if you're really focused on that, that should be the focus. Because all you're doing is making it more difficult to produce here, which folks say, hey, we're going to burn coal. I was just over in, in Ireland recently, and because of uh, 
know, increased energy costs, you know, a lot of folks are going back and there's a fight over burning peat. And so there's a lot of, you know, national pride to it as well. But the fact is peat is a, uh, you know, is kind of a, a precursor to coal and certainly not the cleanest thing that you can burn. And so that's the debates they're having in a country like Ireland uh, and Western Europe right now. And, you know, we have the gas here. You know, why is this, why does this keep happening? Well, it's interesting. It's an interesting point. And, and in a sense, you know, it's almost Twilight Zone-esque because, uh, you know, we do, you know, our, our, uh, our production over here is, is so much cleaner than it is uh, overseas. Uh, we're the, I think the United States is 13% of the world's uh, carbon footprint, okay? You got India, you got Russia, you got China, which we can't control at all. We could go dark and, and, and still have issues. So it, it, it is like being in the twilight zone and the fact that, that uh, many of our people, and I don't understand this, but certainly I want them to understand, we'll, we'll let people import, shut our, we'll, we'll shut ourselves down and let, in, let uh, individuals from overseas who are not doing it cleaner than we are. We're do, like, you're making a great point about you know, what we do in a safety and, and obviously an environmental way um, to, you know, to produce the products. But we're willing to let uh, you know, our, our, you know, individuals from overseas, some that could be our sworn enemy someday, you know, import products and we don't get any, no, nobody's picketing the ports. So that must be you know, a, a, a Twilight Zone-esque um, you know, feeling for individuals in the industry on a daily basis. I'm gonna ask Scott Rui that question. Yeah, it, it, it is. Um, you know, and for, for years now, we've been, we've been talking about uh, our frustrations around our failure to, to take full advantage of the opportunity, kind of to the earlier question, why are, why are we second given the size of the resource? And, and that continues to present. Um, and, and it is important to realize that uh, we're not taking full advantage of all of the opportunities, not only on, 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 on what it means to produce this product and use this product here, and, and, and maybe we'll get the chance to talk about the opportunity for, for increased manufacturing, some of the traditional industries here in, in Pennsylvania, supporting our, our uh, allies around the world, but also what it's doing for emissions. But within the last year, the discussion has changed pretty dramatically. You know, John mentioned uh, you know, countries around the world and the concept of energy poverty. They wish they had coal to burn. There are, there are people around the world who are using animal dung to, to cook their food and to heat their, their homes. And, and children are dying at very young ages of respiratory diseases because they're relying on those fuel sources. They wish they could get coal. Um, and, right. and so energy poverty is a real issue around the world, but it was distant from, from those of us in the US. But we're now confronting a, a situation where energy insecurity it is and will become far more dramatic a reality for the people of the United States. That, that the, first, the, the first point of concern will be increasing energy costs. And folks are seeing that. Folks who are listening to this now are right now paying more than they were uh, over the, uh, you know, just over the last year. Um, but at, at some point soon, if we don't get the policies right, it's not gonna be a question of uh, affording the increases. It's gonna be able to get it at all. And to your point earlier, Joe, 
it, that's not a that's not conceptual. That's the European reality. And and shame on us if we don't look to that and understand that that is the reality they're confronting. And we're setting ourselves up for exactly the same scenario here where folks are going to be uh, in, in a world of hurt come come winter and uh, the, the result of energy insecurity, which is is not to, to Callahan's earlier point. It's not because we don't have the resource, not because we don't have the know-how. It's simply because we just don't have the right policies. And shame on all of us if, uh, if, if that's not realized before it's too late. Scott, let me just drive home your point to the listening audience. For clarity, what you just said is self-inflicted. Sure. This is self-inflicted. We're doing it to exactly. ourselves. Yeah. I mean, by the way, Scott, you mentioned energy poverty. Uh, they must be looking at us. You talk, and, and I would mention the twilight zone. Like you know, we're we're out of our minds, shutting ourselves down. And 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 you just said animal uh, animal dung to to fuel whatever they are fueling. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's ridiculous. Let's 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 talk about. The, I want to get something for the record here, gentlemen, since we have everybody on the line, so people understand. I mean, it's obvious. You know, this conversation has been incredibly enlightening. Um, what priority is our environment in, uh, in with large energy corporations? You know, there's misconceptions that it's a trillion-dollar industry that only wants to get fat at the expense of the environment, but that's not been our experience. And we started this program and jumped on board because there were some very confusing situations. Uh, John Bain, talk about that. Yeah, I mean, I think our, our number one uh, priority is is environmental um, focused, environmentally focused. Um, everyone has has heard me talk uh, and heard my boss talk about the need to uh, bring down global emissions. I think we've done a great job, obviously, here in in Pennsylvania throughout our industry and other industries, um, and, and it's time to look at it on a. a a global scale. We have a, a net zero goal at EQT uh, to be net zero by 2025. We're deploying millions of dollars in capital to get there. Um, and we're also looking at new technologies. Uh, and I know this is something across the board um, that, that individuals are looking at, but it, it's the prospect of a regional hydrogen hub. Um, there's money that was in the bipartisan infrastructure bill just for uh, several regional hydrogen hubs. And we're also looking at, at carbon capture. Um, but, but again, a lot of it comes down to, to policy. And I, and I think it's important that we keep driving this point home that if we can't move products, none of this matters. Uh, there's billions of dollars out there. We're not looking for money from the federal government. Uh, we, the industry can fund all of these programs. Uh, and it's just unfortunate that, you know, just to put it in perspective, if we were to replace coal overseas, it wouldn't take a lot. It would be fully funded by the private sector. We could do it by adding 50 rigs, building out 6,500 miles of pipeline, and um, building out LNG export terminals. Think of the opportunity there for organized labor. I mean, we're, we're talking about not jobs. Um, we're talking about careers. And hundreds of thousands of, of, of labor jobs, good paying, union, family sustaining jobs. And in this economy, 
it's unbelievable that someone would not want to embrace that opportunity. Um, and a lot of our friends in organized labor, specifically in the southeast part of the state, they say, "What? when is it our turn? Um, right. We've been going gangbusters in the southwest part of Pennsylvania. And, and I know that uh, our friends in labor are saying, when is it our turn? Well, we have the opportunity. And there's something in Philadelphia that doesn't exist in Pittsburgh, and that's a port. Uh, right. <laughs> that would provide overseas access. Um, so... In a nutshell, I mean, we have a tremendous opportunity. I could ramble about this all day long. Uh, it, it's frustrating. But back to your, your point, we are doing uh, as much as we can to lower our emissions. We're, we operate cleaner than uh, in this basin than anywhere in the country. And I know we're all deploying millions of dollars in, in capital to do that. By the way, memo to the, memo to the governor of the state, all of those, all of those good paying jobs generate tax revenues, funnel dollars into the community, create small businesses, and allow for expansion among each one of the counties that make out the, that represent every county in the state, you know, and that and that and that will just duplicate itself with this process. Yeah, and Joe, we had Martin, Representative Martina White on talking about the port here in Philly, liquid natural gas. Um, and, you know, put, they're putting a research uh, uh, team together uh, to, to get that done. Um, gentlemen, you, we, we're talking about policy. One of the things we've spoken about a lot on this show over, uh, you, know, it, you know, over the last six to eight months has been the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative. We just had uh, Rob Baer, president of the Philadelphia Building Trades, uh, on the show we, with Jimmy Snell. And with uh, John Bland, uh, Jimmy Snell of the she uh, of the steam fitters, and John of the board makers, and it was all about it was all about Reggie. And I want to kind of set this up first before I tell you uh, we talk about what Rob Bear talked about, but it was fairly incredible. Uh, so oh, oh, you know, over you know half of uh, Pennsylvania's electricity production comes from natural natural gas, with about thirty percent nuclear. Uh, have, having said that, the governor wants to bring us into a system and a network that will, in a sense, uh, disadvantage our natural gas resources when it comes to, to power generation and, and likely driving up energy prices and, and, and raising reliability issues in the process. Let's talk about the implication, implications of, of Pennsylvania joining uh, the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative uh, for the state state's natural gas producers, consumers, and the state's economy. Uh, I'd like to start uh, start off there with Dave Callahan. Well, thanks. It's, it's a very heady, very important issue. Unfortunately, it, it wasn't fully debated in the General Assembly where all these considerations could have taken place. Here's the thing. We've talked about this before, about no government mandate involved in the environmental benefits that have accrued to increased use of natural gas. The power generation sector dropped their CO2 emissions by 41% uh, from 2005, thanks to increased use of natural gas. That's not due to Reggie. That's not due to any other reason but to the availability of affordable uh, and great quantities of natural gas to that sector. What we're seeing now, uh, perhaps Reggie has had an influence over the siting of new power generation facilities. We just saw recently the announcement of a facility that will be going into West Virginia 
powered by natural gas and utilizing carbon capture to do so. Um, it's a very, very complicated issue in dealing with Reggie, the charging of allowances or, or more or less attacks uh, on CO2 emissions when using an incredible fuel like natural gas has yielded just tremendous results in terms of emissions reductions. Yeah, and, and, and so having said that, one of the things that that Rob Baer, who is, again, the president of PA Building Trades, said was, why would we want to join a coalition with other states, some who have relatively little energy resources when what we have, what we have, and that we should be putting together, if we're going to do anything, okay, we should put together our own, our own plan. And at the end of the day, uh, I thought it was one of the really most interesting things we'd heard. And we've been talking about Reggie uh, for months on end. And, and, and so uh, having said that, uh, I'd, I'd like to go to uh, Scott Roy on that one. Sure. Um, I think general terms, anytime you force the markets by elimination of choice, it doesn't work. It's never worked. Uh, and it doesn't work for anyone or for any cause. As, as already uh, described, it, it, it'll mean less production, it'll mean higher costs, and it'll mean this, this trajectory in terms of reduced emissions that we've seen will, will halt. Uh, and, and you know, Joe, as you pointed out earlier, again, this is not conceptual. I mean, in, in essence, this is exactly what Europe did, right? It eliminated choices, forced the market, and, and what's the result? You have they didn't they didn't go back to to natural gas because that they 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 failed to continue to build that out. So now they're reverting to coal, or in the Scandinavian countries they're deforesting their countryside and pelletizing all the all the timber. Uh, and what and what's the result there? They they've spiked their emissions uh, because of of failed policy because of an attempt to force the market. So it just it never makes sense. It just it it. And, and, you know, the market, the, the, the free market has driven all of these advances that we've spent, uh, you know, the last 45 minutes talking about. Um, it has resulted in uh, the expanded use of natural gas. It has resulted in the, the reduction of emissions. The market has driven that. And that's not to suggest that, that there aren't uh, seriously strenuous regulations in Pennsylvania, and there should be, and we abide by them. It is, it is, um, arguably the most heavily regulated industry in the most heavily regulated state. Um, but, um, you know, the, the wrong policy is resulting in what we're experiencing today. And it is, it is completely walling off pursuing the opportunity that presents tomorrow. And I know for obvious reasons, we've focused on the, the production and, and distribution component of natural gas, but it's bigger than that. I mean, Pennsylvania, in many respects, has a close for business sign on the door. Um, when it comes to all sorts of businesses, um, you know, in the Wall Street Journal just today, there was a, an article uh, highlighting the fact that companies in Europe are shifting to the U.S. for production of their product, particularly steel and fertilizer and other feedstocks, because there are more stable energy prices here. Uh, but are they going to come to Pennsylvania? I mean, if historically companies don't come to Pennsylvania, whether they're looking to expand already operating in the U.S., looking to expand into other areas or coming from overseas, they're not coming to PA, again, because of the policies. Um, and that's that's a real concern. 
And let me go to Joe McGinn, uh, you know, and 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 to to discuss and to kind of react to that, and 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 in a political way, how how do we change this narrative politically, Joe? And, and uh, you know, obviously with PA politics being as it is, uh, these these energy issues impact all Pennsylvanians. Uh, you know, doing business impacts all Pennsylvanians. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, uh, you know, it becomes a partisan issue. Joe McGinn. Yeah, th thanks, Joe. I mean, when you look at it in terms of just expand on what Scott was saying, environmental policy and just some common sense solutions. So, you know, one of the products we're moving is is propane, one of the natural gas liquids. And so natural gas is a great fuel to heat people's home. So if you live in a, in a suburban or urban community uh, like I do and where I grew up, you know, that's a good fit. But as you get to more rural areas, you don't have access to those, you know, uh, local distribution pipelines. And so folks use all different things to eat their homes and home heating oil is an example. So propane, again, it's a lighter, cleaner fuel. You know, there's things if you really cared about emissions in the environment, you could do to convert and, and, and really promote that conversion to propane. Um, you look at New England, right? So New England has decided, you know, or New York has decided for them a little bit that there's not going to be pipeline access into New England, right? So we import LNG um, despite having uh, one of the largest reserves in the world right at their, you know, uh, bottom doorstep. So the same thing goes, it's ridiculous. And same thing goes when you look at, at propane. There's a lot of New Englanders that use home heating oil. And because of regulation, um, we can't even bring it by ship up there because of the Jones Act. I'm sure, I don't know if Jimmy Snell or anybody talked about that with the refining side, which is a challenge too. Um, yeah, Brendan Williams talked about it often, yeah. Yeah, um, but we could easily take you know, propane from range resources or EQT off our docks in Marcus Hook and bring it right into New England. Uh, but regulation prohibits that from happening. Again, it would improve emissions overnight. Um, and uh, make things much more efficient and frankly, probably cheaper energy too. But they are the kind of things that, you know, you know, seem nothing is simple when it comes to Washington DC and policy, but it's a relatively simple fix or something that would improve folks' lives overnight. Absolutely. Really good stuff today on the Labor and Energy Show, our Natural Gas Industry Summit. Special thanks. Uh, Scott Roy, Senior VP Re Range Resources. Scott, thank you very much. Um, look forward to more conversation uh, with you. Joe McGinn, VP of Public Affairs, uh, Energy Transfer, wrapping us up with final comments there. Uh, Joe, thank you very much. John Bain, I'm going to steal a line from uh, one of your answers today. We've been looking, J-Doc and I, for what our flag in the sand is going to be as we look to expand the labor and energy show. We're working to try and get it into the western, uh, uh, western part of Pennsylvania right now. And that, uh, that line that I'm going to steal with your permission is we are the answer taken from one of your answers earlier today. And we'll, we may build a campaign around that just to push uh, some of that messaging. Thank you very much for being a part of the Labor and Energy Show. And Dave Callahan, I saved 35 seconds for you to just put a wrap up uh, on the summit. And then, J-Doc, I'll come to you. No pressure. Uh, well, first of all, thank you to my colleagues, true leaders in the, in, in the industry. They've given you many examples of the concrete work they're doing to supply energy and, and, and chemical building blocks to this country and to the world to make modern life possible. 
And most obviously, thank you to Joe Doc. Thank you to Krause. Thank you to your listeners and folks who are involved in the construction trades who are doing tremendous work day in and day out, all sorts of weather, all sorts of conditions, doing work safely, on time, and providing incredible quality work. You know, energy is one of those issues that brings business and labor together. Uh, I'm going to steal the line, too. We are the answer. Um, and we've got a lot of work to do together. I look forward to continuing the relationship with you folks. All right, good stuff, Dave. And Jay Doc, I'll give you last word. And I hate to say it to you, my friend, because I know you're sure, I know you're, I know you're long-winded. You have 10 seconds. <laughs> no, I just want to thank everybody for being on the broadcast. And, and it's, it's a step closer uh, to, to, to uh, doing what we need to do to change the, the narrative. And like Joe Krause said, uh, we want to take the message uh, beyond the Atlantic region, obviously, uh, you know, to the west side of the state. But um, everybody has to have this information. And in a sense, like uh, like John Bland said, we got to work together if we want to get this done. That's the only answer. That's going to do it for this edition of the Labor and Energy Show with Jay Doc and Krause. A reminder, you can download the podcast if you miss any of today's uh, broadcast, or perhaps you want to re-listen to all of the great content. Just go to Apple or Spotify, search the Labor and Energy Show. On behalf of our entire guests, uh, guests today joining us for the Natural Gas Industry Summit, on behalf of my partner, Jay Doc and Joe Krause, we are the answer, everyone. See you next time. Thanks for listening to tonight's labor and energy special. You can help. Call your congressperson before the upcoming midterm elections and join the movement to push back on RINs. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is pre recorded. <laughs>